And when you consider the cross and the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you see? Are you inclined to look on the Saviour as one who in his suffering needs our pity? Do you see him as a victim? Or do you see him as a victor? Tonight as we conclude our messages on the song of the suffering servant, our song reaches a, a, a grand climax in the last three verses here. And like two high snow-capped mountain peaks of extreme exaltation and glory, the song began in chapter 52 there, and it ends here with the same note of victory, despite there in the middle that deep valley of humiliation and intense suffering. The one who died like a criminal was buried like a prince and now is exalted high and lifted up so that we will see the fruit of his suffering. The servant will see the result of his redeeming sacrifice and will be fully satisfied. Yes, the unregenerate man, the sinner, those looking on there at the foot of the cross would look at this scene and, and expect this sad song to end in the grave. But not this song. Because tonight is time to celebrate. He dies, yet his work goes on. He sees and he is satisfied. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour. What a song this is. And after the hour of his deepest humiliation was over, the Lord God exalted his divine servant to the highest place of exaltation. In the extreme humiliation, the suffering servant satisfied the divine justice of this heavenly father towards the sinner. And since a holy and righteous God is satisfied, the good news tonight in the gospel is that each sinner can also be satisfied. They can have that problem, their heart problem, dealt with. They can be satisfied to the fullest. They no longer need to hunger and thirst for peace and satisfaction. It is presented tonight in the finished work of Christ. Tonight we're going to look at the success and the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross from the last three verses here of Isaiah 53. However, before we do that, I want your mind to go back to that thought in Luke 23 in the verse 28. There you have the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been led to the cross to be crucified. There's a group of women who are following along after him. They're weeping. They're crying out of sympathy for the suffering Savior. He's been tried and, and whipped and beaten. And to them the Lord Jesus turns. And what does he say? He says, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. And in those words, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us why we should weep when we come to the cross. It should not be because he appears to be defeated or because he's beaten and mercilessly killed. No, he does not need our sympathy tonight. He doesn't need our sympathy. He was in complete control of all that happened to him. He laid down into life willingly. And therefore, when we come to the cross tonight... We should weep for ourselves, for our sinfulness, for our wretchedness that made the suffering of Christ on the cross necessary. That is why we ought to weep. We come to the cross, we should come as repentant sinners. And when we look at Jesus on the cross, we should see his victory over sin. 
his success, his perfect payment for our sins. In the early verses of this chapter, Isaiah 53, the prophet emphasizes the suffering of Christ. He spoke of the man of sorrows, despised, rejected, bruised, wounded, oppressed, afflicted. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And from a simply human perspective, in all that suffering, there's little hint of success. Little hint of success. But now the prophet, in these last verses, focus, focuses on his success. So now at the end of this beautiful song, he comes back to where he began. We'll look at those verses in 52 again, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. That's victory. So that's our theme tonight as we come to the end of chapter 53. As he began a victory, he ends a victory. And where else can we conclude this series tonight but on the victory of, cro of the cross? We've looked at the, the divine servant, the divine sufferer, the divine substitute, the divine sacrifice, and tonight we want to look at the divine satisfaction, the divine satisfaction. Firstly, I want you to see the purpose of the divine satisfaction, the purpose of it. And in focusing on his success, we must not leave out completely the suffering of Christ because his glory comes through his suffering. Thirteen times, actually, in this song, Isaiah mentions the vicarious substitutionary suffering of Christ born on behalf of the sinner. And this pattern, it's central to the theme of the suffering servant. In the New Testament, the cross of Christ is central. In fact, in both Testaments, the whole subject of the Word of God is redemption. It's written all over from Genesis to Revelation. This book is about redemption. And therefore the song of the suffering servant finds its fulfillment only in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. His victory comes at the end of his mission, the purpose for why he came, which was to suffer for sinners. And while Isaiah in these verses looks at his victory and success, he does so in the context of what Christ accomplished and what he did on behalf of sinners. What did he do? We read about it in each of these verses. In verse 10 we read, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And this verse tells us something about God. Who was it killed the Lord Jesus Christ? Who was it? Who inflicted suffering on him? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? Was it our sins? Yes, it was all those things. But ultimately... It was the Father in heaven. It was God the Father who bruised his own Son, not begrudgingly, but rather willingly. Willingly. It pleased the Father in heaven to bruise him or to crush him. He hath put him to grief. And the death and suffering of Christ happened according to God's plan and to God's purpose. This was God's will. This was God's pleasure. But why? Why was the Father pleased to do this? Because it was absolutely impossible, apart from this, for salvation to take place. If there could have been some other way, if God in his wisdom could have come up with any other way than to kill his only begotten son, then surely he would have done it. But there was no other way. 
There was no other way whereby those who are sinners by nature, which is each and every one of us gathered here this evening, each and every one watching, each and every one in this world, all under the curse of sin, and there was no other way for God to forgive us of our sin, whereby or for by crushing his own dear son under the weight of our sin. What did Paul say in Romans 8? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. There was no other way for God to do this. There's no other way tonight for sinners, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. It pleased the Father to bruise him. This verse also tells us something about the willingness of the Lord Jesus. He knew that this was the only way because at the end of verse 10, we read there, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And that word pleasure refers to the will of God. Refers to the will of God. God committed the carrying out of his pleasure or of his will to the hand of his son. God told his son, this is my will. This is my way. The only way, the only way that I am pleased to save sinners is through your suffering. The Lord Jesus came to do his father's will. I am come to do the will of the father that has sent me. That is the purpose for why he came. And so again in verse 10 we read, he makes his soul an offering for sin. That word soul is important here. If you look down at verses 11 and 12, you will see that it is repeated in each of those verses. In verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul. Verse 12, he hath poured out his soul unto death. And why is that word important tonight? Well, because it tells us something of the nature of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should not belittle the external sufferings of Christ. We're not to belittle his betrayal, his unjust trial, his beatings, the agonies, the pains of crucifixion. We should not take those things lightly. His physical sufferings were were horrible. We read how he is marred more than any man. But the real The real suffering of Christ was the travail of his soul. What does that mean? He gave his soul an offering for sin. That means that in his soul, the Lord Jesus Christ suffered what we should have suffered in our soul for our sin. He bore the wrath of a holy God against our wickedness. He took what was due us, the sinner. What happens to the soul of the sinner at death? Well, at death, the soul of the unrepentant sinner goes to hell. That's what happens. The sinner at death, the soul will go to hell. We read that in in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, as the Lord spoke of the rich man and Lazarus. What happened? Luke 16, 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died, was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. What happened to the rich man? What happened to his soul? What happened to this unbeliever at his death? His soul went to hell and was in torments. 
The Lord Jesus goes on there in Luke 16 to explain the agonies, the sufferings of hell, a place of fire, a place of darkness and weeping, and a place of thirst, how the rich man cried out for just a little drop of water to touch his tongue. He was tormented in that flame, a horrible place, a place where that person can never die. They want to die and they cannot die, a place of agony, a place of suffering. And this is what happens to the soul of a person who is outside of Christ, those who die in their sin. Sadly today, those who proclaim to be Christians and say there's no such place as hell. There's ministers who'll stand up on pulpits and say there's no such place as hell. Or they'll say everyone goes to heaven if you believe in God. Or they'll say if you're, if you're a really bad sinner you'll just be annihilated. You go into the ground like an animal. That's the end of you. And there are men who stand in pulpits in this land and they'll give an account unto God. They've blood on their hands. So they have but the Bible teaches us clearly, the Lord Jesus, the words of Christ himself, tells us that if you die in your sin tonight, friend, you will go to hell. You will go to hell. And those who say otherwise are only repeating the lie of the devil. He wants to damn you. He's the father of lies. You see, hell is real because God is just and God is holy. And hell for man is eternal Fires of that place can never be quenched for the man who suffers there. So great is our sin. So great is our sin before a holy God that even in our eyes, the smallest sin that we can imagine must be punished in hell. But here in Isaiah, the good news of the gospel is that we're told that the Lord Jesus offered his soul as a sacrifice for sin. He bore the bitter agonies and torments of hell for the sinner. That was his mission. That was his purpose. That is why he came to die on the cross. And we get an idea of what that was. As we listen to him on the cross, as he cried out, My God, my God, why has I forsaken me? As he cried out there, I thirst. Why did he say those things? Because in that moment he was suffering the agonies of hell in his soul. That was the travail of his soul. And he did that on behalf of the sinner. Secondly, I want you to see the pleasure in the divine satisfaction. The pleasure, the pleasure in the divine satisfaction. Verse 10, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And here you, here you see, the, and you have the success and the reward of Christ. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And under Christ's charge, the Lord's plan, it will prosper. It will succeed. He shall see his seed. What does that mean? Who are his seed? We know the Lord wasn't married. We know the Lord Jesus had never had any children. So who are his seed? Who is he speaking of here? Well, the reference is to those who are saved here tonight. The reference is to the spiritual family that come as a result of his death on the cross. His seed are those who believe on him. 
John 1 verse 12. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The seed of Christ are those who are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, who are born not of flesh, but of the word of God. This is the success of the cross. In the family of God tonight, not just here, but all across this land, all across this world, the family of God are being gathered in by the message of the gospel. And Christ's reward is that he gets to see his seed. Do you not think? Do you not think that Christ would have been marvelously encouraged as he went to the cross? When it seemed that in his suffering that he was all alone, when his closest friends, his disciples, had all forsaken him, he could look at this passage. Remember this written before the cross. He could look at this passage in his humanity and this promise and think about the many thousands and millions and thousands of millions, yeah, billions, who would hear the gospel through history and believe on him. What exceeding pleasure Christ will have in seeing the results of a sacrifice in the untold multitudes who will respond in saving faith to him. You see, God is gathering tonight. He's gathering a redeemed people by his grace through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. That redemption that is offered to you tonight by the suffering servant. Verse 11, he shall see the travail of a soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. God is the speaker here. Just as God was a speaker at the beginning of verse 13 of chapter 52. And no person, no person or no event through all history that has ever taken place or, or the future can be compared to what the Lord's servant accomplished. We've witnessed over 2,000 years of those benefits worldwide. What will we see here? What will he see? Sorry, he shall see the reveal of his soul. He will look back upon that grief and suffering and shall be satisfied. The father will say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful son. This is my beloved son, my divine servant, in whom I am well pleased. Redemption has been accomplished, and he will be fully satisfied at the success of his divine work. It has unparalleled success tonight. It's a job perfectly done. He will see many come into salvation and be satisfied. And tonight, God the Father I can justify the unbelieving sinner because the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. He did not fail. He did not die in vain. And we see the, the fruit of his labor over in Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, I think it is, in verse 9, we read there, of how all those who are gathered through all the ages will be around the throne worshiping, Revelation 5 verse 9 And they sung a new song saying Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals are off for thou wast slain 
and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. What a success. The servant will see it and be fully satisfied. The divine work will succeed. The outcome of the atoning sacrifice of Christ will cause God to be glorified all through eternity. We will sing and worship and praise him for what he has done upon the cross. This is the song of the redeemed. Read over in Hebrews chapter 2 those words, Who? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was that joy? What was that joy as he went to the cross? The joy was that he knew going to the cross that this would be a success. Christ knew as he walked up that lonely hill to Golgotha, as he was nailed to that tree, as he was mocked and ridiculed, as he hung there naked and humiliated, he knew this was going to be a success. He knew the Father had given him a people. He'd send him to die and redeem these people. And he knew that this work would be a success. He knew for all for whom he died would be brought into this place of fellowship of him. For we read there, for he shall bear their iniquities. Not might, not might bear their iniquities, or not could bear their iniquities, but shall bear their iniquities. It is a great assurance to know that once the suffering servant bore our iniquities, they can no longer rise up to accuse us. Again, Paul in Romans chapter 8 with that, that verse, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. And even as the devil seeks to cast our sin before us, we have this assurance Christ has borne our iniquities. The guilt and payment of those iniquities has been punished once and for all. And God is satisfied. With the vicarious sacrifice, he takes pleasure in it and the results it produces. The action is complete. And actually the verb, I don't know anything about grammar, but the English of the verb here related to this sacrifice, it's in the perfect tense, describing an action that is finished, never to be repeated, completed, finished, once for all, no more work to be done to it. Done perfectly, done complete, nothing to be added to it, nothing to be taken from it. The payment has been paid in full by the blood of the Lamb. One final thought. I want to see the proclamation of the divine satisfaction. The proclamation of the divine satisfaction. Because God and his servant are satisfied, the message can now be proclaimed. Isaiah sees the servant rising to triumph once again. He, he wrote those words in verse 13 of chapter 52. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and very high. Now we've come full circle in the exaltation and extreme humiliation and then even greater exaltation of the servant because verse 12 of 53 reads, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. 
He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And here God the Father, as he looks upon the divine servant, he says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And those words are similar to the words we read over in the New Testament as Paul writes there to the Philippines in Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him given a name which is above every name that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father it's come full circle it speaks of how the Father will greatly reward his Son because the Son took upon himself to humble himself, to become a servant, humble himself more than any other man who's ever lived. Now God the Father will exalt him to a position higher than any other creature who's ever lived. Lord Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the ultimate example of those words. Because he humbled himself, he is exalted. Isaiah here uses a metaphor to speak of his exaltation. I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil of the strong. This picture is a returning general coming back from a, a victorious battle. He's coming in, he's carrying all the spoils of war to the capital city to present them to the one who sits on the throne. You imagine that picture. He comes back to the king, that victorious general. He's won the battle. He's got all the spoils. He brings them back. And the king says to the general, you have earned these spoils. You keep these spoils. You distribute these spoils to our people. And what a picture, ultimately, of the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his ascension, he goes back, as it were, as a conquering general, back to the throne room of glory, back to his Father. And the Father in heaven gives him the spoils of war to give and to share with his people. What he has accomplished on the cross, he presents. What are those blessings? Well, the spoils of war that come to us, the Holy Spirit. Christ pours out the Holy Spirit upon the New Testament church. The Holy Spirit works among the hearts of the sinner to open up the blinded eyes, to open up the hard hearts, to, to present Christ to them. What a wonderful thing that is for the sinner tonight, that in this meeting, that in your sin, you're blinded to the things of God. The natural man doesn't understand the things of God. But the blessing of the cross, the blessing of the work, the success of the divine servant is that the Holy Spirit works in a meeting such as this, comes and takes the message that the, the messenger, the preacher proclaims, takes that message and applies it to the heart of the sinner. What a blessing. What a blessing. Verse 11 speaks of that saving knowledge. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. And by his knowledge it means by the knowledge of him. 
And through the sinner knowing him, through the work of the Spirit, through the presentation of the gospel message, as they hear the word, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word, it's by the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen to bring sinners to faith and repentance. And this is knowing him in an intimate way, not knowing about him, but rather knowing him in salvation as Lord and Redeemer. He will bring about justification to the sinner. He will justify many. What does it mean to be justified? In very simple terms, it means that the guilt of our sin, which we all own, the guilt of our sin is taken away. It's placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's laid on him. And his righteousness, his perfection, his obedience to the law of God is accredited to our account. It's given to us our spiritual bankruptcy, our sinfulness, our wretchedness is laid in him. And all that is good about him is given to us. And this is the glorious blessing of the success of the suffering servant. The greatest of all blessings comes to us, comes from the cross, is that our sins can be forgiven. And that God will receive us and accept us. And through knowing Jesus, through believing on him, we are justified. You see, nothing, dear friend, you can do yourself will ever give you a right standing with God. You cannot earn God's favor. You cannot win God's approval by good works. You cannot change your status from being guilty to innocent by being obedient to the commandments or anything else. No, the Lord Jesus is the only possibility. Because he paid the full price for the sins of his people on the cross. And he, and he gives knowledge of what he's done through his word and through the proclamation of the gospel. And tonight, friends, as you think upon the crucified Christ, it must not be tears of pity for him. Don't look upon him with sympathy and pity and say it is terrible what happened to him. Those were cruel men who did that to the, to the Lord Jesus. Because remember that he was strong in death. He was strong in death. He was not a victim. He was a victor. He was strong in death doing the Father's will. We must not weep at the cross, not for him, but rather weep for ourselves, as I mentioned that verse in Luke 23. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your families. Weep for your friends. Weep for your neighbors. Weep for those who are unsaved in this meeting. Cry and weep for them tonight. Because the gospel demands that we repent and believe, or else our souls will end up in that lost sinner's hell. The good news of the gospel tonight is the Lord Jesus is the suffering servant in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. The sinless one died for the sinful ones, so we might be counted righteous before God. The divine servant became the divine sufferer. In that he became the divine substitute and gave his life as the divine sacrifice in order to become the divine satisfaction for our sins. Friend, what will you do with Christ tonight? Will you turn to him or will you flee from him? 
You have another opportunity, as I said, another opportunity to hear the message of the gospel. And that is a solemn thing. As I've said before, to sit under the preaching of the gospel is a solemn thing. And if you reject that gospel, Paul writes, he wrote of, with tears, with trembling. He talked about stirring up wrath against wrath on that day. And every time you hear the gospel and reject Christ, you're adding to your eternal punishment. You're adding to your hell because you have a responsibility before man and before God to repent and to believe. And the wonderful news tonight in this wonderful prophecy of this suffering servant is that the Lord Jesus is ready and able to forgive you your sin. To accept you. All you have to do is turn to him. To repent of your sin. Throw down your puny arms of rebellion. Stop seeking to earn God's favour by your own way. By coming to church. Whatever you think you're doing that will earn heaven. Simply come. Come and receive his offer of mercy. And friends we must remember that he's told us in his word that his spirit shall not always strive of man. We're still living in the day of grace. The Lord hasn't returned yet. He's still building his church. Praise God for that. He's long-suffering. He's patient. Dear friend, his patience may weary some day with you. What if tonight you are cut off? Cut off in your sin. Never to hear the gospel again. Never to have another opportunity to repent and flee to Christ. Oh, how awful that would be. How awful that would be. Tonight, friend, weep not for Christ. Not for pity for him, but rather weep for yourself. Weep for your own sinfulness. And come to Christ tonight and weep tears of repentance. And flee to the Saviour. And praise God he has promised to receive you and forgive you. I make you a child of the King. The Lord bless his word tonight and even bless these messages even in this uh, portion of his word. May he continue to speak on even as the voice of the preacher grows silent. And friend, if you're concerned about your soul, uh, don't go home. Come and speak to us and settle the matter tonight. Let's close our meeting in prayer. Father, how we thank you once again Lord, for an opportunity to present Christ. Lord, we never tire of speaking of our Saviour. We never tire of speaking of thy love for the sinner. Lord, we are always minded as we preach the gospel of where we were when you found us in the muck and gutter of sin. But Father, we thank you for thy redeeming grace. We thank you for thy love and mercy. And Lord, tonight we're just beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. And we pray this evening they will come to feast upon the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's any still outside of Christ tonight, still unsaved, maybe they have a heavy burden tonight. That burden of sin is getting heavier and heavier. They're like pilgrim and pilgrim's progress. They feel that weight upon them. And Father, we realize that there's nothing will remove that weight of sin except Christ. May they flee to him for mercy. Lord, we pray that you'll speak tonight 
I speak to those who watch online even. We can't see them. We don't know them. But Lord, apply this message even to their heart. We thank you for the success of the cross. We thank you, Lord, we can stand here tonight and preach Christ because of all that he has accomplished on behalf of sinners. And we pray tonight, O oh God, for the leaving me sinners in this meeting who will repent and flee to him. Lord, be with us now as we leave. We pray thy blessing upon each one of us this week in all that we seek to do for thee. Keep thy hand upon us even now for good. We pray it all in our Saviour's name and for God's eternal glory. Amen.